The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we explore the magic of music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and relive your favorite movies through music. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank Wilson. Let's have a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we play today. Recognize that music? And you probably recognize the genre, but you may not know what score or what particular film it came from. That's the gun barrel from uh, the James Bond film On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which happens to be our guest's uh, one of his favorite scores we're going to explore today. The gentleman we're going to be talking to today has had a long career in the film industry. Uh, as an actor, a second unit director, assistant director, production manager, producer, and on and on and on. I think the only thing he hasn't done is craft services. Uh, he's worked on over 100 films and TV shows, including uh, such notables as 101 Dalmatians, Jungle Book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Man from Uncle, and many of the recent uh, Bond films, including Skyfall, Casino Royale, and Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, you might say that he is... Uh, he's got filmmaking in his blood and his DNA, as his dad worked in the industry for over 50 years. And he's also a true fan of film music, with a passion for the for the art. Uh, and the way that we connected was that we happened to share an affection for the music of John Barry, which I'm sure will come up during today's discussion. Uh, I hope all of my listeners will join me in welcoming Terry Bamber to our broadcast today. Hi, Terry. Good afternoon. Afternoon and morning and Whenever anyone's listening to this, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I always kind of start off uh, these conversations with our guests to just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, growing up and uh, how you got into the biz and stuff like that. Well, I, I was very lucky because um, my dad and my two uncles were already in the business. Um, so from a very early age, I had the chance to go to Pinewood Studios and to visit the sets and one of the, the first great memories I have is, is dad taking uh, my sister and I to the volcano set of You Only Live Twice mm. um, and just the magnitude of that set and the excitement of being there was, was just absolutely fantastic. But equally, um, I, th I think I must have been nine when we saw the You Only Live Twice set. But Dad worked on a wonderful film uh, called The Whisperers, which was written and directed by Brian Forbes and starred the wonderful actress Dame Edith Evans. And we'd had our sports day at school. And as a treat, Dad came and picked me up from the sports day to take me to the studios. 
and I got to meet Mr. Forbes, who gave me a 10 shilling note for coming second in my race. Uh, <laughs> but I got to watch Dame Edith Evans act. Uh, the particular scene they were filming was, was she was playing a lady that nowadays we would call a lady with dementia. But uh, in, in, the, in the 60s, she was the lady who had voices, would hear voices and had her own little world. And she was just playing a scene on her own, making a cup of tea. And I was just so totally mesmerized by the way she moved around the set, by her, her beautiful face. Um, and that was, I thought, I've got to work in this industry. I, I, and I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to go in uh, uh, from that side of it. Although my dad had always said, no, you, you've got to be an assistant director. That's the greatest job in the world, if hmm. other than uh, directing and, uh, and producing. Mm-hmm. Huh. So that was, that was the spark that got you interested in it. Absolutely. And I, and we must tell our audience too. I, 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 one of the things I admire about you was you did, I, I wish I could have done something like this. You did a, a, a book that was, for lack of a better way of saying it, I, I guess a tribute to your dad and his career. I believe it was called From Props to Producing. That and, is correct. That is correct. I'm ashamed to say that I, and I, I haven't been able to, to acquire a copy yet, but I, I hope to at some point. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're really interested in the kind of the behind-the-scenes look at some of the most iconic films ever made, contact our guest and you can get you can contact me and i can get you in touch with them because it's that's a fabulous book and a real labor of love for you wasn't it well the amazing thing is i've just had to order a new print run you know we we initially my my thought was to do the book as a tribute to dad and we were just going to do it for family but we've sold nearly 500 copies now uh because people see it and i mean the great dad's photo collection of the 50s and the 60s was marvelous but he the, the the wonderful thing is, because now I do a lot of lecturing as well and still carry on with my career. Um, and whenever I talk to the young students, some of them are obviously now were, were born uh, just after the Harry Potter film started. So a lot of my films, they don't even recognize. But <laughs> as soon as I mention films like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or Swiss Family Robertson or um, and uh, A Bridge Too Far, then they recognize those films. So even now, through my dad's links, I'm actually getting through to the students um, I mean, that was why I was so proud to work on 101 Dalmatians because the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is such an iconic film, for, for especially for British youngsters. And now with 101, I've, I've sort of joined that club. And that was such a joy working on that, Frank. Marvellous animal trainers and working with the brilliant Mickey Moore, who was the second unit director of, on the first three Indiana Jones films. Um, and Mickey was 83 when we did 101 Dalmatians. Wow. Um, and then we got to work together again on 102, where he was 87. And he still had more energy than anybody else on the set. But I, if, I'd love your, your, your listeners to look up Mickey's career, because Mickey, he started in the silent era as a, as a baby actor playing opposite Mary Pickford. He, he was Cecil B. DeMille's prop man went on to be Cecil B. DeMille's assistant director. He directed Elvis in a, in a movie in the 60s. And just the most amazing man, the kindest man, the cleverest man I've had the privilege of working with. Wow. Now, what, what, what led you to having such a passion for film music? Was there uh, some moment that that happened or just a yes, series of moments? Yes, I, can, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And in fact, nowadays, I think my parents would be up for child cruelty because they took me to see the Alamo. 
um, and I was five. And of course, all your heroes get killed in the end. So that was a very traumatic experience for me. But uh, from the opening bars of the overture of Dmitry Tionkin's magnificent music, that that I was hooked. Um, I, from that moment on, I was always uh, looking to see what the score was going to do for the film. And I, unfortunately, I can see a film that's got brilliant acting, it's got a brilliant script, but if the score doesn't move me, it just won't work for me overall. So the Alamo was the, I remember we saw it at the Odeon in Holloway Road in North London. And it, mu I, and it must have been 60, 61. So I think I was only four and a half, five uh, when I saw it, but it had such a powerful effect on me. Um, and I've then started to, to see things like High Noon, the great, the great film High Noon, which Dimitri Tionkin had composed for. Um, but my, my, my first real love was, was in 64 when, when I saw Zulu. Uh, for the first time, uh, which is ironic because that's where we're going to go as our first uh, of your uh, choices of favorite film scores. Uh, you had uh, chosen Zulu, and in particular, I think a cue that's called Final Appearance. Kind of just tell us a little bit about your uh, your affection for that particular score. I, I again, I was very young, um, but I just think the, the the acting in the film and the music was just so stirring and so moving, and and the Zulu chanting. Um, so I think I must have seen the film 70 times in the cinema because whenever it came up anywhere near where we lived, that's it. I've got to go and see Zulu <laughs> again. I've got to go and see Zulu. And in fact, Zulu was the first soundtrack album um, I ever bought uh, to, to the start of my collection. Probably saved you a few, Bob, too, from having to go back <laughs> yeah. to the cinema to watch it just to hear the music. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's pause for a moment and have a listen to this. This is a... Uh, cue from the movie Zulu, uh, and uh, the music happens to be by one of our favorites, John Barry. Let's have a listen. You've you've done many different roles on films, and uh, I mentioned some of them when we had there. Is there is there one of those roles that you've had in in uh, filmmaking that you uh, that you like the best? I, I think I think assistant directing um, because the, the total involvement on the set and helping to create an environment for all the creative people to do their job properly, including the actors. Um, and including uh, the, the, the director of photography, that they've got time to light properly, that makeup and culture have got time to do all their work. I, I think I think I'm a sensitive assistant director to the needs of that because my one of my first jobs uh, that I got when I finished at drama college was through my dad. Again, bless him, he was doing a TV series in Greece uh, called Lefkus Man, based on a Hamadini's novel. 
and he managed to to convince the director to have me play a, a very small role, but opposite the great Irish actor T.P. McKenna. Um, and I was playing his henchman type character. And on my first day's filming, I was called at 7.30 in the morning because my scene was going to be second or third up. But for whatever reasons, it got pushed to later in the day. So I had the whole day mulling over, oh, my God, I've got to go on. I'm working with T.P. McKenna. Marius Goring is in the film. The wonderful <laughs> Kenneth Cope, who used to be in Randall and Hopkirk, deceased. So by the time I got on set, I was so absolutely nervous that uh, I fluffed the lines. Uh, I was supposed to open the car door for T.P. McKenna and help him out. In one of the takes, I nearly shut his hand in the door. <laughs> I, I dropped the papers I was supposed to give him. And oh, I felt very isolated, very much on my own. Which So from that, I pay particular attention to every actor that we have when, we, when I'm working as an assistant director. You know, from the day players to the background artists. Because nobody turns up wanting to make a mistake. Everybody wants to give their best. And when you're working with the star of a film that's in an everyday, like the wonderful Derek Jacoby, I did a lot of work with him. You know, when they're in every day, they've got the whole film or the whole series to get used to something. But it's those poor day players who come in to play one role, either a doctor or they're, 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 they're one of those characters that are moving the plot forward. Uh, and they've got to come into a family of people that have been working for six weeks, seven weeks. You, you have to treat them exactly the same way that you treat the lead and make it special for them that they can give of their artistic best. I, I, lo I do love assistant directing. You, uh, you chose as another one of your favorites, uh, Carlito's Way, and in particular the Q Grand Central. I had a, a friend of the program who agrees with you that this is uh, one of the best cues he's ever heard. Uh, tell us a little bit about what went into your thinking of including this amongst your favorites. I've always liked Brian De Palma films uh, from, from when I first saw Carrie. And uh, oh, I remember, uh, I mean, I love Pino Donaggio's music from Carrie as well. And I don't know if you remember at the end sequence, that beautiful lyrical music and it's a dream sequence and you think everything's good. Well, when I was watching that, I was actually sat next to a lady that was pregnant. And when Carrie's arm comes up at the end, I think I nearly had the baby, let alone the lady. <laughs> it was... Uh, but brilliant music, and 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 for Don't Look Now, Pino Donaggio's music for that, great score. But Carlito's Way, that whole thing, I've I've always been in love uh, with America and and New York. And um, I, at, when I saw Carlito's Way, I hadn't yet been to New York for the first time, but just that the whole feel of the Grand Central Station, um, and that chase music is brilliant because it's it's got such a wonderful energy to it, but it's not that sort of throbbing. Uh, beat that you get with so much of the modern music, uh, action music nowadays. Uh, I, it's, it's just a stunning piece of music. And to sustain it over that long period as well, and and the, and the camera work and the way that Brian De Palma uses the camera, is a, it's a, I, hope, um, I hope people see the film. Carlitos, I think in a way it's a very underrated film. I don't think it gets the kudos that it, it should do. Okay, well, let's uh, let's have a listen to this particular cue. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, the composer was uh, again for Carlito's Way was Patrick Doyle. Patrick Doyle. Yeah. This is from uh, his score for Carlito's Way, and the cue is called Grand Central. Let's uh, let's have a listen.
Terry and I are uh, Facebook buddies, and so I've learned a lot about his uh, his uh, travels and uh, his adventures and those sorts of things. And I'm curious. I know just based on those connections that you've you've been all over the world as a result of working in the film industry. Are there are there some favorite locations that you've liked that uh, that you've worked at before? I love India. I love India, Frank. Um, I, I first worked in India in 1992. We were doing the um, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, mm. uh, which is a TV series spin-off from, from the Raiders films. Um, and I got to work up in Banaras, or Baranasis it's sometimes called. And a lot of the Indian crew that I worked with then have become friends for life. And then last year we we did a film, or I beg your pardon, 2017, we did a film called Swords and Scepters, which we shot in India and we shot in London um, and in Morocco. And the great thing was that a lot of the crew that I first worked with in 1992, I was able to reunite with. There's a wonderful energy about Bollywood crews and and, and, and working on Bollywood films. I got to to work on a wonderful Bollywood film called Ra One, R-A dot O-N-E, which was one of their first superhero films with the wonderful Shah Rukh Khan. Um, and I, if your listeners ever want to try out a Bollywood film, I urged them to, to see a film called My Name is Khan, which is a fabulous film. It's a cross between um, uh, Forrest Gump and It's a Wonderful Life. And it's <laughs> fabulous. Film. And, and of course, they've, 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 every one of them, they've got great dance sequences. They've got great musical crews. Um, I mean, I've got into, through that, A.R. Rahman's work. I mean, he's written some fabulous film music. Um, and there was one, a great soundtrack he wrote for an Indian biop, one of their, their war leaders called Bose. I think it's pronounced Bose, B-O-S-E. Wonderful soundtrack. If you get a chance to try that out on iTunes or anything. Um, but no, but I, I love going to India. I've, I've, I've been, I never dreamed. I, we, we went to Iceland on Die Another Day. And in fact, because... At one point, it looked like the, the the lake that we needed frozen for the sequences we were filming didn't look like it was actually going to freeze. So we had to have a quick weekend recce up to Alaska. I mean, I had to oh pinch my. myself. You know, suddenly, I'm on a plane going to Alaska for the weekend to see if we could find an alternative location. Um, and through through the Bollywood connections, I got to film in Fiji. Which is just a beautiful island. Mm. Um, so I, I, I've been, I have, I've been very, very lucky with the location. Where my wife is about, I think I'm allowed to say this. I think everybody knows that Bond Twenty Five is is going off to Jamaica. So oh, exclusive. What's the score? Exclusive. Yep. So she's off. She's off. She's off there uh, in two weeks, and um, she's looking forward to that. But it's 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 a bit ironic because she's got the little Jamaica handbook guide to her, and I it used to be me that had all the guidebooks everywhere. So that that was a bit of a, a little kick in the stomach watching her get ready for that. Beautiful place, and that's where I. It's where we had our honeymoon. Actually, was Jamaica. So I'm uh, I'm jealous that she's going back there. Oh, fantastic! Um, yeah, you uh you chose Revenge of the Sith as a, another favorite. Uh, the Q in particular, Anakin versus uh, Obi-Wan. Tell us a little bit uh, behind the thought of including that amongst your favorite scores. Well, I, I, I argue to, to anybody that will put up with me that the Star Wars movies would not have been anything without John Williams's music. Mm-hmm. As much as, you know, in the first one, I, the, the, the brilliant casting of the first one uh, with Harrison Ford and the, all that work in the gelling and the wonderful one-liners he played, 
the music, the music, the music. And when, in the prequels, where, we, where he, all the experimentation with all the CGI work and, and the soppy introduction of, 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 of characters, the music held it together. The music gave it the heart. Um, and unbelievably, Revenge of the Sith is, is now one of my favourite Star Wars movies, primarily because of John Williams's music, but giving it that heart and that dark side and that... And the and the the fight, the real fight of good against evil, and how it's in, it's in within all of us. Yeah, uh, I think you and I, I think you and I share a a, a similar feeling on that. That uh, music influences my uh, whether I whether I like a film or not. Particularly when you look at a series like like Star Wars or like James Bond, I have a tendency to if I like the score, it's higher up on my list as opposed to all the other issues that might go into making up a list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let, let's have a listen to this. Uh, uh, this is a, a composition of John Williams, who obviously has been associated with all the star Wars films. This is from revenge of the Sith and the cue is called Anakin versus Obi-Wan. Let's uh, let's have a listen.
Okay. Well, there's no way that we can uh, do the show without talking about John Barry's music a lot, and we're going to get into that here in a moment. You know, this is uh, interesting, Terry, uh, outside of what we've been talking about to kind of change gears a little bit. You've become quite the uh, quite the amateur photographer, and I guess it's something that's of interest of yours. If if folks want to see some really beautiful nature photography, follow Terry on on Instagram. That's uh, quite amazing. Some of the stuff you've been doing is that always been an interest of yours? Well, it's if only uh, iPhones had been around when I was very young, because the wonderful place I remember going to the Victoria Falls uh, um, and then the Aggressive Falls, beautiful, beautiful locations that. Unfortunately, those days, I just had one of those sort of Kodak instant cameras with a little square photo, which were absolutely rubbish. Mm. Um, but with the advent of iPhones, it's, it's, and it's not really that I'm any good at photography. What I, what I, a very boring story coming out now, Frank. I, as I've got older, I've tried to, to do a lot of walking to stay fit. And I used to go uh, on a treadmill. And my wife said to me, well, listen, you like taking photographs. We live in a beautiful part of Surrey. Why don't you walk your five miles every day rather than going to the gym? So about a year ago, I started doing that. And because of work, sometimes I was having to get up 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning to do the walk. So I was getting more and more wonderful sunrises. Um, and, and in the wintertime, obviously sunsets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just, I, just, I just adore taking the photographs. I mean... Nature and God the, are the, are the uh, just give some amazing images. And the film we were doing down in Hastings, obviously being right by the sea, there was just some stunning sunrises. And when you get it, when it is a, that morning mist and the sun first appears through the mist and it goes to all those different colours. Um, and that, and I, I, there was a film, um, which I, I'm not sure, I can't remember if I put it, I must have put it on my list of Dances with Wolves. Because not only has that got the most sublime soundtrack, but the photography in Dances with Wolves is absolutely stunning. And, yes. and, and every, every image could be a photograph that you'd want to frame and, and put up on your wall. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, um, you chose a, another John Barry score that I have a real affinity for as well. Uh, Peggy Sue Gets Married. Uh, in particular, the Q Homecoming. Talk to us a little bit about... Uh, what went into your thinking of including that amongst your favorites? It's, I mean, John Barry's scores have, have just been part of my DNA ever since I, I, I first saw Zulu. Um, and Peggy Sue Got Married came out uh, just after. I was very, very lucky in my life with my family and my family influence. And when I wanted to go to um, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, when they very kindly accepted me on the acting course, yeah, I, I didn't have very much money. And my grandparents uh, said, well, you must come and stay with us until you, you can get a part-time job and then start paying for yourself. And then you can do the next two years of the course um, and find somewhere to stay. So my first year at, at Lambda, I was staying with my grandparents um, and their influence on me and their kindness, I will never forget. Um, and then when Peggy Sue came out, sadly, my, my grandfather had passed away Uh, on New Year's Day in 1986. So I was spending a lot of time with my gran looking after her and and she never really recovered from his death. Um, And sadly, she she died in April of of 86. Mm. And just after that, Peggy Sue came out. And 
Oh dear, I'm getting emotional now. The uh, that cue is just stunning. You know, it is, and it's um, it 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 gets you in the heart. It's just an amazing piece of music. And there are several cues in that film that are uh, that make that connection. Well, let's uh, let's hear for ourselves and see what this connection is like. This is uh, from the film Peggy Sue Gets Married, uh, Francis Ford Coppola f- uh, film. Uh, with music by John Barry, and this particular cue is called Peggy Sue's Homecoming. Let's, uh, let's listen in.
You kind of mentioned this earlier, and uh, it's okay to repeat it if you want, but uh, we can look at some other areas too. But you've had the privilege of really working with a lot of giants in the industry, and I'm just kind of curious of who are some of those people that you've worked with that, uh, in particular, you just really admire, and, and tell us a little bit behind the, the admiration well, for those people. Sir Roger Moore, uh, my first my first ever film, James Bond film, was The Man with the Golden Gun. And I'd finished, just finished my A-levels. And my dad said, okay, got to go to work now. And would you believe this luck? He took me to Pinewood Studios. Dad was working on the, the Disney film, One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. He took me down the, the corridor in the old house. And the first door that we came to was Claude Hudson, who was the production manager on The Man with the Golden Gun. Knocked on, obviously, Dad knew Claude, said, I need, I'm looking for a job for my son. And as luck would have it, the, the young lad that had been the runner on the film had just got his union ticket, which meant he was leaving to go and work as a, on a new film as a third assistant director. So I was hired on the strength that I just knocked on the door at the right time <laughs> and started work on, on The Man with a Golden Gun as a runner the following, uh, the following week. And one of my first job uh, chores... On day one, was uh, I was told that Sir Roger used to like chicken sandwiches in brown bread at the end of the day, just as a little snack before he'd, he'd go home. So I, I went and queued in the restaurant, got the sandwiches, uh, went went to his dressing room, knocked on the door, and one of the assistants opened the door, and, I, and as, as soon as I saw Roger, I was just so nervous, and so I dropped the sandwiches, and they landed a uh, sandwich down on the floor, and all Sir Roger said was, well, I'm supposed to be watching my figure. Um, and that he was just the kindest man. Dad worked with him several times. Dad worked with him uh, on The Man Who Haunted Himself, which was which was mm. Roger's favorite film. Right. Um, and Dad was the second AD on that. Yeah. And, and in fact, in a little bit, I want to want to circle back to some of that discussion here in a moment. Um, another favorite composer of mine that I guess that you and I share is uh, is Jerry Goldsmith and oh. one of the. Uh, I think him and John Barry are actually kind of similar. They seem to be very melodic most of the time, and maybe that's maybe that's the connection. But you chose a, a, a fabulous film and score of, of as your uh, one of your top ones, and this is uh, the main theme from Papillon. Uh, could you yeah, again kind of give us a little background as to what made you choose that particular one? Uh, my sixth form college days when that came out, seventy four. So it was, you know, it was dates with uh, a different girl that, because uh, they all got fed up with me after the first date, because all I ever did was talk about the music when we came out. <laughs> and um, and Papillon, I, I remember taking this, this gorgeous girl to see it. And she obviously wanted to see it because Steve McQueen was in it. And um, I, I just love Steve McQueen. I love Dustin Hoffman. Um, and Jerry's music, the, the themes for The Man from Uncle and all those I'd loved. Um, but his score is so haunting and it, and it captures that love you know, between the two men, especially in the end sequence when, uh, when um, Papillon jumps from the island to escape and Dustin Hoffman's character has stayed there tending to his gardens. And that theme, it's just, I think I, I, think I tend to cry a lot of films and I think it is the music that makes me cry a lot. Um, and, I, and I do, if I've got that connection, unfortunately I'm, I'm, totally ignorant of how to compose music and i know and i get so angry with myself when i sometimes uh, write on facebook oh this score did nothing for me because the fact that some person has composed a score and it will probably work for a hundred people 
if it doesn't work for me, I, I, I have to say that. But it doesn't yeah. mean, obviously, it's a bad piece of music. It's just that there's no connection for me in it. It just didn't uh, work for you, it, yeah. And Papillon just connected. And I, I think I went and saw Papillon five times in two weeks just to hear the music. Um, <laughs> it's been there. Yep, I know what you mean. Well, let's, uh, let, let's let the music do the talking then for us. This is uh, the main theme from the film Papillon, uh, written by Jerry Goldsmith. The next one that you chose is we're going way back and I, I, I share this affection, you know, in fact, now that I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm talking about this because I, I want to, I want my daughter to see this. She actually doesn't mind seeing older films. Uh, you chose as one of your favorites, Casablanca. And uh, it was interesting. I had access to a couple of different uh, recordings of it. At one point I thought about using the original you know, from the film, I guess, but the, which would have the narration. And mm. it was, you know, that was kind of nice and everything, but at the same time, I wanted to improve the quality of it. So we're going to use a re-recording here for that. But uh, certainly in one of the top five films of all time, Casablanca, talk to me a little bit about what was your reasoning for wanting to include that amongst one of your favorites? I, I think from the first time I saw it again at a very early age, it was, it was, I, I, it was a, a Casablanca. My dad loved James Cagney. So I, I saw Yankee Doodle Dandy at a very early age. 
um, angels with dirty faces, um, and of course the original King Kong uh, um, um, and Max Steiner's music for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it just the, the music for all those films just moved me in a way that, that I can't disassociate the music from the film. But Casablanca is... Um, is every line in cast? I mean, I know they were rewriting the script. I know that people didn't know how it was going to end. But the, the sheer genius of, of lines where, where Claude Rains' character, when he he, he says he, he says um, to to um, to Rick, um, why did you come here? I'd like to think you murdered someone, but then again, that's the romantic in me. <laughs> and, and Rick replies, "Well, I came for the waters." He said, "But we're in the desert." I was misinformed. <laughs> every line, every line, every character, and again that amalgamation of of using songs in 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 films to work, which for me Zulu does. You know, the, the Zulu chanting is song is, is like a song like part of, of the film. Um, and with Casablanca, would you know play it again? Um, and and the and the um, that when they stand up and they sing the French national anthem against the Germans and that which should be so corny, which should be so, you, you know, you wouldn't, you cringe, how can you, do, it works so brilliantly because of the sincerity of the script, because of the passion of the script. Um, it's a f- fabulous piece of music there, that opening and the dramatic and you know you're, you're on a ride as soon as that, that opening, the opening bars of the music begin. That's a great description of it. You're absolutely right. So let's uh, let's listen in on this. This is the uh, the main theme and, and prologue, if you will, from the film Casablanca. Let's have a listen.
Now, I'm curious. I, I, I think I know one answer to this question, but uh, be curious if there are others. Have uh, these composers that, that you like and your love of film music, have you had the opportunity to to meet some of these great uh, men and women? I, I was very lucky to, to have gone to a Jerry Goldsmith co- concert. I was very lucky to see any Morricone concert. But on the man with the golden gun, because all the uh, production staff got fed up with me going on constantly about John Barry and how much <laughs> I love his music, uh, one of the unit drivers used to have to take the film up to, to Mr. Barry's flat in Chelsea along the river. And then he would work on his movieola and coming up with, and he was having to work very fast. If I remember correctly, he had a very short amount of time to do the score for the man. That's what I, I remember that. I, I think I'd heard two weeks. It was something crazy like that. It was, it was something very short. And I, and this driver, this lovely driver called Steve said, well, listen, why don't you come up with me and you can take the film and give it to Mr. Barry? Oh, oh yes. Please. Oh, wow. Uh, I, 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 he drove me up there. And Steve had, uh, was telling me stories how that what a lovely man Mr. Barry was. He invited him in and made him a cup of tea while he had to wait for something. So I get to the door, I knock on the door, and I'm just rubbish when I and Mr. Barry <laughs> opened the door and I think I said something. This is for you in a very high pitched voice. <laughs> gave him the film and ran before he could say anything else. Um, <laughs> and and that was so uh, that was my first meeting with him. My second meeting was, I'm ashamed to say, um, we were. it was um, a variety club, 40th anniversary of the James Bond series. Um, and there was a special deal, which John Barry was the guest of honour. Um, and I'd, there was a lot of champagne flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, was no, I wasn't even sat anywhere near uh, Mr. Barry's table. He was sat next to Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson and everybody. Um, and... In a drunken state, I went over and, and wanted to say hello to, to, to Barbara Broccoli and then hopefully introduce myself uh, to Mr. Barry. Um, and Barbara intercepted me and apologized to Mr. Barry, saying, unfortunately, this man is your stalker because all he ever does, he wants to get to see, see hear your music, see your films. Um, so that was a very embarrassing. I think Mr. Barry sort of turned away uh, half embarrassed. Uh, but then... They then started to have an auction uh, to, to raise money for the Variety Club. And one of the prizes was to have a dinner with John Barry and his wife. Um, <laughs> and I was very drunk. So I started bidding. Um, and then when somebody else bid, Barbara Broccoli would hold my arm up for the to bid above whoever else bid. So I ended up bidding uh, nearly eighteen hundred pounds, um, and I actually won the auction. So I won the auction to have dinner uh, with Mr. Barry. Uh, to which Barbara Broccoli said, uh, "There's no way you're going on your own. I'm coming to make sure that you don't do anything or say anything you shouldn't say." <laughs> and um, and we actually we had the dinner. It was wonderful. The crew, bless them, had a whip round to help me pay for the for the for that money that Aww. I paid. Oh, that's and, great. Um, uh, and the, the dinner was wonderful, except every time I went to say something, Barbara kicked me. So Mr. Barry had a wonderful evening talking to my wife all <laughs> night. And uh, But the highlight of that was that one of his favourite films that he worked on was George Cooker's, Cooker's uh, Love Among the Ruins with Catherine Hepburn and oh, yeah. Olivier, which I love the music from that, as, as does my wife. So we, we got to talk about sort of non-run-of-the-mill type music. Um, we did mention a couple of the James Bond things, but uh, he, he he wasn't a great lover of, of the man with the golden gun score. Uh, yeah. Whenever I tried to talk about that, 
Two more selections I wanted to go through. You mentioned, uh, and I remember this film vividly, and, and, and what's funny is I didn't remember much of the score, so this actually brought back some nice memories for me listening to it again. Uh, Towering Inferno, uh, uh, another another piece from uh, from John Williams. Uh, tell us a little bit about your thinking on including this amongst your favorites. But, uh, Frank, I have been so incredibly lucky. I, I was working at Pinewood uh, as a runner. We just, we just finished the bond. I was about to work on a, a Walt Disney film called Pit Ponies, or I think it was released as The Littlest Heroes or Escape from the Dark, which Ron Goodwin did the music for. And I got to meet Ron Goodwin. And what a fantastic composer he was when you think mm. of Battle of Britain and Where Eagles Dare and 633 Squadron. But um, with, with this... Um, uh, this piece, but there was a producer that wanted to do um, uh, a towering inferno type disaster movie on an English type budget, <laughs> which <laughs> was probably never going to happen. But part of that was he wanted to show his art director the towering inferno. Um, and I hadn't seen it at the cinema yet. So we went and sat in one of the uh, studios at Pinewoods, and it was just three of us watching it. And that opening sequence with the heli, the helicopter down the coast, the the, the um, American coast, and right. John Williams's music just blows you away. It's it's it, I don't think there is a score that John Williams has written that doesn't affect me in some way. You know, it, it even his scores that you might say are slightly weaker in 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 terms of yeah, he, maybe he was he was not phoning it in, but it, it hadn't really set his creative juices on fire. Right. And there's always something that will move you. I mean, I love, I'm so pleased they've just released a CD to Dracula. Um, yes. With, uh, fabulous music in there. Uh, but this sort of Towering Inferno, again, and when funny enough, the Towering Inferno was also, I had the chance to take another girl to see the Towering Inferno. I, I got through girls so quickly because <laughs> I, I bored them to death, but... Um, the, uh, the again, because Steve McQueen was in it, and uh, and Paul Newman, one and, and Robert Wagner, wonderful cast. Yeah, amazing uh, cast. And I think a really good film. I think a, a very well told, film, wonderful Fred Astaire. I think Jennifer Jones was in it, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the music, it's, and that tension at the end, that music for when um, they've got to blow the water tanks up to to to, to put the fire out of the building, and it's it's just amazing music. Well, let's uh, let the music do the talking for itself. This is the main title from the film Towering Inferno, written by John Williams.
All right. I, uh, you, I was going to ask this question, but you've already kind of answered it to a certain degree, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. I, it, come on, it must be really glamorous, or, or at least it seems to an outsider. It must be really glamorous to work on these James Bond films. Uh, am I overselling it, or is it just another day at the office? Gee, well, because I've, I, I was first and foremost a fan of James Bond films, the fact that I actually got the chance to work on them it was just beyond my wildest dreams. Um, there are times when it's, you know, four o'clock in the morning and you're getting up and you've got to get everything prepared and ready to start shooting. And then it's bad weather and or things go wrong. Um, there, there are bad moments like that. But to, to travel the world and, you know, to, to go to the Panama Canal uh, on Skyfall, I'd never been to Turkey before. Um, and what a beautiful country Turkey is. And Adana down, we were based down Adana in the south. Um, and they changed all the, the, the train routes around so we could film on the railway line there. Um, I, I would love to have worked on Octopussy because a lot of my friends, my Indian friends, worked on Octopussy when they shoot, shot at, um, in India on that. Um, mm. at Iceland was just amazing. You know, the, the, the sequence that the Vic Armstrong, the second unit director, directed there was was. was Brilliant. But the great thing about that, of course, was where the, how what a genius of the designers that they were with Ken Adam and, and then Peter Lamont. And, and Peter Lamont is, is such a, an amazingly wonderful man. I'm, you know, and he won the, the, the Oscar for the Titanic design. Right. In Die Another Day, I, 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 I know it's not the greatest of Bond films, but like all Bond films, from the best to the to the worst, there's always two or three sequences that are memorable. And and that chase sequence on the ice, um, obviously we shot in Iceland, but then we came back and then we shot some of it on a disused airfield in Risington in Oxfordshire, which Peter huh. Lamont designed uh, that with the icebergs. We recreated icebergs and we, and we made it. And I promise you, I. You cannot tell the difference between what is real, really in Iceland and what we shot at Risington. Sadly, wow. die another day. Of course, you, most people tend to remember that awful uh, paragliding <laughs> with the tidal wave, uh, uh, which you can tell isn't maybe not yeah. exactly real. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's neither here nor there. Well, the reason why I brought it up too is that uh, uh, one of your choices was certainly amongst one of my uh, got to be top ten of all time, and certainly in the top five for James Bond, and that is a. Uh, uh, the score from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And we're going to play the main theme here. Um, maybe let us let us in on uh, why. I mean, you had every James Bond film you could have chosen, basically, for this list, but you chose this one. Uh, tell us why. I, I think that the amazing thing about OHMSS is it, it has really got everything. I mean, you, John Bad would always give you a great action cue, a great love theme, um, and and those wonderful little moments. And in fact, I don't even think it was used in the film, but on the re-release CD, they've got that wonderful uh, um, Dusk at Piz Gloria. Yes. It's a magical piece of music. Oh. Um, and, and and John Barry does that in nearly every... Even the, um, the other day on television, they were showing Moonraker. And the opening sequence to Moonraker before it all gets silly with Jaws. There's some fantastic music. The 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 the, the, um, uh, the dramatic lead-up music when the uh, the Moonraker is on, is traveling on the seven four seven. Yeah. 
acoustic music. And um, sadly, a lot of that never makes it onto, uh, you know, onto commercially released CDs and that sort of thing, which is really sad. Although, you know, we have at least been lucky to get some things released later on. Yeah, no, but thank God they did, they did the re-release of the CDs with OHMSS and um, and Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, it is, it, it, it's so hard to choose a film, that you, but I just think that OHMS main theme. And funny enough, everybody seems to forget that David Arnold's recording he did of it um, on, on his album Shaken and Stirred, that got to number four in the charts. Yeah. Um, it, it was very, very popular. Um, and of course, he used the OHMS theme and also the um, uh, the space capsule march from You Only Live Twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I uh, another thing why I love doing my, um, my well, I call them powder puff walks because uh, I can't really at my age call them power walks because I sort of stagger around in the mornings. But it, the, the sheer joy is playing film music. It's, and it, it is all film music that I play while I'm doing these walks. Yeah. Um, and nine times out of ten, it'll be John Barry. It'll be David Arnold. I think uh, I miss David Arnold so much on Skyfall and Spectre. Um, yeah, and, uh, we can hope that he comes back on this one, this next I'm one. I'm keep, keeping fingers very, very crossed. You can, you can never predict. Well, let's listen to this iconic theme from the film, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, with uh, one of the first uses ever, by the way, of a synthesizer yeah. In, yeah. A, in a motion picture score, uh, written by Terry and I's hero, John Barry.
So Terry, tell me, is there uh, anything in the pipeline for you? What's uh, what's in your future right now? Short term, long term? Anything anything you'd like to share with us? Well, at the moment, I mainly I get because I was so lucky, um, you know, with the, the nepotism and getting into films that way. Um, in 2008, um, I, I worked on a film in Northern Ireland. Um, and in fact, we, we, we were the first major film to go to Northern Ireland and really started the ball rolling, which has allowed Game of Thrones to go there and for the, the Northern Irish film industry to really kick off. Mm. Um, but we, um, when I was there, I was introduced to this wonderful organisation called Cine Magic. Um, and they, they've been going for 30 years now. And their, their aim was to educate youngsters into who wanted to work in the, in the media, in films and television. And I was asked to, to give, come and give a talk about my career and what I think they need to learn to do to become an assistant director and production manager. Mm. And from that, I was introduced to um, a lecturer at Derby University, who then moved to uh, did the Montfort University in Leicester. So progressively, I was doing more talks and lectures about assistant directing and production managing. And I seem to be doing a lot of that now. There's an <coughs> organization at, at Pinewood Studios called Creative Media Skills. And I, I do a lot of teaching for them. So I've sort of trying to balance between, because there's, there's still nothing beats being on a film set. Um, I've got a couple of little projects coming up in May, just helping out with some reshoots on recently completed films. And there's um, a director that, that directed the, the, the film Brighton, which is done in Hastings. He's working on another script to work with the same cast, which we're hoping to go and shoot at Hastings in September. So okay. um, it's it, there's, there's still lots there. I'm not I'm not in that sort of Premier League anymore, like my wife is, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> the, the great thing is, there's so many films uh, being made now. There's so and it was with Netflix, with Amazon. There's, there's been so a renaissance, hasn't films. there? Oh, it's fantastic, and the quality that that we're achieving uh, is just amazing. Well, Terry, look, I, you have been very generous with your time and. Uh, what a terrific guest. I, I I can't tell you how thoroughly I've enjoyed this, and I hope our listeners have as well. You came up with a terrific list to to go through. And uh, for those of you that are interested in getting in touch with uh, with Terry or wanting to follow him on Instagram and those sorts of things, you can uh, contact me on the What's the Score Facebook page, and, and uh, I'm sure Terry will allow me to pass his information along should you be interested in that sort of thing. Uh, again, my uh, sincere thanks to you, Terry. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Good luck to you in the future. My best to your wife, Susie. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, going to conclude our program for today. Uh, there's only one thing, one, one thing left to say, and that is that my name is Frank Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score. <laughs>